0: Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Luke. It is the same reading that we explored last week, but interpreted differently. Um, I'm reading from the Common English Bible translation. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. and He began to explain to them Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. For the word of God around us, for the word of God within us, for the word of God in scripture, thanks be to God. Before I begin my sermon today, I want you to know that I will speak of painful topics like race-based violence, death, and racism. If you need to take a moment to care for yourself, or our ushers are in the back of the sanctuary and in the space, they can point you to the direction of a quiet place for rest or to a restroom. Our pastors are also here to support you after the worship service. Anxious pre-travel jitters coursed through my body, and my bags were half-packed. It was just two days before my departure to South Africa, and I was seated at my computer, gazing at the faces of 19 seminarians, most of whom I hardly knew on Zoom. It was an ordinary preparation call. But before we logged off, my seminary colleague and soon-to-be friend, Lucien, spoke up. I don't know what this trip means for y'all, but for me i'm returning to the motherland forgive me if i am in tears when i set foot on african soil in that moment i knew this trip was going to be different but let me tell you friends i was unprepared for just how powerful it would be days later our journey had already begun we found ourselves on holy ground at Liseidi Cultural Village, a place that teaches about Africa's indigenous history through drumming, educational demonstrations, authentic replicas of tribal villages, and the best part, Ingoma, a dance that shares their history of ancestral folklore and rituals brought to life. As I watched the dancers of Liseidi, I was mesmerized I was moved. The dancers drummed and sang from their souls, crying out in complex harmonies, throwing their bodies into full expression. I wept. The sheer power, brilliance, and beauty of it all was so much for me to take in. I felt the hard truth that white colonizers had erased so much of the African cultural heritage we were observing and I felt appreciation and gratitude for their resilience that Africans had preserved their culture despite disenfranchisement. While I was quietly awestruck, tearfully taking in this experience, Jalea, a first-year seminarian, nonprofit founder, and my new friend who is joining us online this morning, hi Jalea, came alive during the dance. She was hardly contained to her seat, cheering and whistling and grooving as she watched as the Ingoma dance was nearing its finale, the most magical thing happened. One of the dancers opened her hands to Jalea and welcomed her up to join the revelry. Though she had never seen or done this dance before, she didn't miss a beat. Jalea followed the intricate, energetic moves effortlessly. She was beaming and her elation sent our collective delight through the roof. I almost could not believe my eyes as she jumped and spun. When the dance had finished, our black seminary colleagues gathered around Jalea. I was lucky enough to be within earshot. And I heard them ask her, how do you feel? I have unspeakable joy, she said. And they responded, holding sacred space for her. Welcome home. The ancestors were here with you today. As if my heart wasn't already swollen by all I had just seen, I was enraptured by the beauty and significance of this moment. And there was more. I soon learned that Jalea grew up dancing here in the States. She attended a performing arts school through childhood, but she, as a little black girl, never felt good enough. Echoing Jalea's experience, our friend Lucien shared the same sentiment, explaining, and I quote, Every person of color always has this underlying feeling that we're not good enough, we're not worthy because we're taught it, we see it, we're shown it on TV day and night. We are told this. We are not good enough. We have imposter syndrome, this belief that I don't belong here. Lucien continued drawing on his experience at the cultural village, but what we saw today... We are not imposters. We are creators of greatness and beauty. I had the honor and privilege of witnessing my fellow colleagues experience great pride in encountering the richness of indigenous African culture. And yet, two things were true at once. On the other side of their unspeakable joy was a deep and palpable pain. They didn't always feel this kind of affirmation and celebration in their identities as people of African descent. Julia boldly told us the truth of her experience living as a black woman in America. She said, you may feel free every day. I don't feel free every day. In our group of 20 graduate students, 12 students were white and eight were black. Of the eight black students, two were from other parts of Africa and six were from various parts of the United States. Traveling together as a multiracial group to study racial oppression in a foreign land was exactly what you might imagine it to be. Really hard. We spent much of our trip examining the rise and fall of South Africa's apartheid era. For those who may be unfamiliar, the apartheid was a period of institutionalized racial segregation and discrimination that officially began in 1948 and ended when I was a toddler. South Africa transitioned to a democratic system when the first multiracial elections occurred in 1994 when Nelson Mandela was elected as the country's first black president. Apartheid looked a lot like the era of Jim Crow here in the States. Non-whites were forced to live in separate neighborhoods from whites, use separate bathrooms, and had limited rights in terms of employment, education, and political participation. Both apartheid and Jim Crow relied on racial classification of the public to enforce segregation laws. Thankfully, of course, both countries underwent significant resistance movements, and apartheid and Jim Crow had their respective official ends. And while those milestones are considered major human rights successes, and they were, both countries still live in the mess that state-sanctioned white supremacist violence has left in its wake. South Africa's healthcare, education systems, and distribution of land wealth are all still intensely marked by racial inequity. And both South Africa and America, in these countries, there is still intense justice, healing, and racial reconciliation work to be done. For the students in our group who had grown up in America in black bodies, examining apartheid in South Africa was painful each story of oppression and violence sprinkling salt on an already present wound. When we stepped out of the Apartheid Museum into the fresh light of day to discuss all we had seen, the exhaustion and the sadness amongst our group was unmistakable, especially in the hearts and bodies of my black siblings. We were there as academics and graduate students, but this was the stuff of the heart. Dahlia turned to me with tired eyes and said, not everything needs academic analysis. You see, the stories we encountered in the Apartheid Museum live in her body and in the bodies of people of color. The images and stories of brutality against black bodies in South Africa looked almost identical to the images and stories of brutality against black bodies in America. The brutality of our mirrored history and the history we are living in this present moment. In 1976, students initiated a peaceful protest against apartheid outside Johannesburg in a neighborhood called Soweto. The protest was met with police violence and is now a historical event known as the Soweto Student Uprisings. When the protest escalated into violence, thousands of students fled to a church to escape police bullets and tear gas. Police followed the students into the church, firing live ammunition. Look up. All of you, look up. They shot through the ceiling from helicopters. 48 years later, we worshipped in that very same church. And the bullet holes are still visible in the ceiling of the sanctuary to this day. We met with a woman named Antoinette Sithole, who at the age of 16 joined the student protest with her 13-year-old brother, Hector Peterson. Hector was the first to be killed by police as the protest erupted. The day before we gathered to hear Antoinette's story, one of our black seminary colleagues named Sue received the heartbreaking news that her nephew was killed by police in Maryland. Are you hearing me? One day after Sue lost her nephew to police violence, she mustered up the courage and resilience to visit the Hector Peterson and Apartheid museums. She gazed upon photography of students running from police officers of an older student carrying Hector's 13-year-old lifeless body as his sister Antoinette wailed beside him. Last year, experts from the United Nations made their first visit to America as part of an inquiry set up by the Human Rights Council after the police murder of George Floyd. Following their tour, the UN called for a nationwide commitment to address discrimination suffered by black Americans in their daily dealings with the law. Dr. Tracy Kesey, one of the experts who conducted the visit, stated, quote, in the U.S., racial inequity dates back to the very creation of this country, and there will be no quick fixes. To this day, racial discrimination permeates through encounters with law enforcement. Police killings and their spillover have had a profound toll on black Americans' mental health, causing generational and ongoing psychological strain. This threat of state violence and societal marginalization is not something that was left behind in apartheid and Jim Crow. As we steeped ourselves in a country's story of violence and oppression, it brought up the realities of our own American story. I witnessed righteous anger in the hearts and spirits of my black siblings. I felt my own white discomfort and guilt, and shame in hearing their truth. We were in South Africa to examine its liberation struggle and engage in anti-racist dialogue. And given that each white student, myself included, was in a different place on our own journeys of dismantling our internalized racism, our conversations were messy and difficult and maybe even holy. As our professor, Dr. Taylor Denyer said, if we, a group of justice-minded theologians, cannot have these hard conversations about race, who the hell can? When I think back on my time in South Africa, I think about the important discomfort I felt. Discomfort hearing the experiences of my black siblings suffering. Discomfort in myself knowing that at some point I would say or do the wrong thing, and I did. Discomfort in hearing some perspectives from my white colleagues that were not helpful or even harmful. Discomfort in the discomfort of it all because the oppression against God's beloved human beings is not only uncomfortable, it is traumatizing. It is unspeakable despair. It is wrong. So you might be wondering, where exactly is the good news in this sermon, Kate? (laughs) While this news may be uncomfortable, it is good nonetheless. Nowhere in the gospel does it say that Jesus came to make us comfortable. Our God may be one of ceaseless grace, mercy, and peace, which is a healing balm in a hurting world, but God's love and grace cannot make us complacent in matters of injustice. In fact, it is God's love that should make us indignant against cruelty and hatred. The one we call Lord ended up a victim of state-sanctioned violence So we, as practicing Christians, need to expect some discomfort. We need to be ready to be, at minimum, inconvenienced in the name of doing God's liberating work of love. We don't get the fullness of jubilee or the relief of Sabbath without putting our own sweat equity into the work of liberation that God is doing first. In this season... As we explore the topic of Jubilee, our gospel reading from Luke today tells us straight up. Jesus came to preach good news to the materially poor. Jesus came to proclaim release to those who are perhaps the most ignored in any human society, people who are in prison. Jesus came to recover sight to the blind, which could be interpreted another way. Jesus came to help us wake up and to see our own feigned innocence, our feigned innocence that we are always the good guys. And as Americans, that can be especially hard to hear. And perhaps most importantly, Jesus came to liberate the oppressed. Are you feeling uncomfortable? It's okay if you are, I am too, but stay with me. The good news of the importance of our discomfort goes further. You ready to be a little more uncomfortable? (laughs) You and me, we're not innocent. None of us are innocent. We all have prejudiced beliefs. We are all capable of conscious or unconscious harm. We all benefit from systems and corporations that do harm on our behalf, often contributing to our comfort. We are all complicit to oppression in a million tiny little ways every single day. But once we get free from the illusion that we are or ever will be perfectly innocent, we can seek reconciliation. As living, breathing vessels for the love of Christ, we Christians must examine how we contribute to the violence of apartheid in our world, in our state, and in our neighborhoods. Do you know what the word apartheid means? Anyone? Anybody know? In one word, what does apartheid mean? Apartness. Apartness, yes. Separateness. It means separateness we, whether intentionally or unintentionally, keep separate from our own worship community? Who do we see ourselves as separate from? Who is our enemy? Who is our other? Jesus asked us to follow him and to believe what he believed in, bringing together what has been broken apart by separateness. He asks us to be brave enough to look around at those who are experiencing domination and violence in our midst and admit, I am not innocent. I know in some way I am part of the problem. Now how can I change that? When we encounter God's beloved people facing violence, oppression, exclusion, separation of any kind, we must respond In that moment, when Jalea rose to join the dance, something happened that only God can facilitate. Reconciliation. Through the welcome of the Lisseti community, the spirit revealed to her with every stump and every shake that she has always been enough. She is a beloved child of God who deserves to be seen and loved exactly as she is. In joining the dancers at the village, she had a breakthrough. She could let go of the lie she had been told in America throughout her lifetime, that she wasn't enough. Indeed, she is more than enough. You're more than enough, Jalea. Beloved, beautiful, and strong, a child of God, just like you, and you, and you, and you, and me. When we hear about a God who desires relief for the materially poor, freedom for those who are imprisoned, epiphany for those who could not see how they've wronged their neighbor, and liberation for the oppressed, we encounter a God who wants us to be released from the chains of separateness. We encounter Jesus who came to say, whatever separates one of us separates all of us we encounter a God who wants you to know the kind of unspeakable joy that Jalea encountered that day on the dance floor. A joy that only came from getting free from the belief that she was separate. A joy that came from returning to the truth that she is more than enough because she is and always will be God's beloved. Beliefs that keep us separate from one another and from the truth of our inherent worthiness come from systems that benefit from our disempowerment and shame. There are systems in this world that seek to strip people of their dignity, safety, and inherent value in the name of power and control. But Jesus invites us to follow him in his ongoing work of resistance to those forces. Jesus tells us that every single person who has ever faced oppression deserves that kind of dance floor liberation. The ultimate good news, the ultimate good news, in the midst of our messiness, complicity, discomfort, and recognition that we will never be perfectly innocent of our world's suffering is that God loves us and is always inviting us toward reconciliation. God always wants us to get free. God wants all of humankind to know the unspeakable joy of jubilee. This I deliver to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.